Good evening. The Biden administration slammed social media for vaccine misinformation. Is the White House spying on the anti-vaxxers? Democrats splinter over Cuba. And in New York, an eviction moratorium is coming to an end next month. What will be the community's response? With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo with the WBAI News for Friday, July 16th, 2021. The head of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, Dr. Rochelle Walensky, says cases of COVID-19 in the United States are up about 70 percent over the last week. Hospital admissions are up 36 percent and deaths rose by 26 percent. But she added the rise in cases is affecting one group to the exclusion of all others. This is becoming a pandemic of the unvaccinated. We are seeing outbreaks of cases in parts of the country that have low vaccination coverage because unvaccinated people are at risk and communities that are fully vaccinated are generally faring well. While we are in a far better position than we were in January through April, this increase in red area is giving us all a reason to double down and get more people vaccinated. The good news is that if you're fully vaccinated, you are protected against severe COVID, hospitalization and death, and are even protected against the known variants, including the Delta variant circulating in this country. If you are not vaccinated, you remain at risk. And our biggest concern is that we are going to continue to see preventable cases, hospitalizations and sadly deaths among the unvaccinated. Dr. Rochelle Walensky is head of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. The Biden administration expects cases to increase in the weeks ahead. Four states account for 40 percent of new cases last week, with one in five coming from Florida. One small bright spot are signs the increased cases are driving more people in those communities to seek vaccination at rates faster than the national rate. In Washington, President Biden had a message to social media on COVID-19 misinformation. They're killing people. I mean, it really, look, the only pandemic we have is among the unvaccinated. And and they're they're killing people. The Biden administration is playing an active role in flagging Facebook posts it considers to be problematic or disinformation. That's according to White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki. Psaki revealed that most of the anti-vaccine misinformation on social media platforms was originating from 12 people. But she didn't identify any people or pages. The revelations led to a lively exchange during her daily White House press briefing. We're in a regular touch with a range of media outlets. As as, let me finish. As we are, as we are in regular touch with social media platforms. This is publicly open information. People sharing information online, just as you are all reporting information on your news stations. Okay, so these 12 people who you have on a list, 12 individuals, do they know that somebody at the Surgeon General's office is going through their profile? I'm happy to get you the citation of where that comes from. There's no secret list. I will tell you that these are people who are sharing information on public platforms on Facebook, information that is traveling, is inaccurate. Our biggest concern here, and I frankly think it should be your biggest concern, is the number of people who are dying around the country because they're getting misinformation that is leading them to not take a vaccine. Young people, old people, 
kids, children. This is all being, a lot of them are being impacted by misinformation. Now this is Big Brother watching you. They're more concerned about that than people dying across the country because of a, a pandemic where misinformation is traveling on social media platforms. Uh, there are videos of Dr. Fauci from 2020 before anybody had a vaccine, and he is out there saying there's no reason to be walking around with a mask. So is the administration going to contact Facebook and ask them to take that down? Well, first, I think what Dr. Fauci has said himself, who's been quite public out there, is that science evolves, information evolves, and we make that available in a public way to the American people. Exactly. I, I, I have never seen any data to suggest that the vaccines cause infertility. That is information that is irresponsibly traveling. Facebook used to post, uh, used to block people from posting that COVID may have originated for a lab. That is something this president now admits is a possibility. We don't block anything. Facebook and any private sector company makes decisions about what information should be on their platform. Our point is that there is information that is leading to people not taking the vaccine and people are dying as a result. And we have a responsibility as a public health matter to raise that issue. And the responsibility we all have, the government, media, platforms, public messengers. Saki says the White House is contemplating actions to label anti-vaccination information on social media. Providing for Facebook or other platforms to measure and publicly share the impact of misinformation on their platform and the audience it's reaching. Also with the public, with all of you, to create robust enforcement strategies that bridge their properties and provide transparency about rules. You shouldn't be banned from one platform and not others if you are for providing misinformation out there. Taking faster act- action against harmful posts. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki. In related news, Washington, D.C. Attorney General Carl Racine has subpoenaed Facebook for records related to the platform's handling of coronavirus misinformation as part of a previously undisclosed investigation into whether the tech giant is violating consumer protection laws. The subpoena, filed June 21st, also calls on Facebook to provide records identifying all groups, pages, and accounts that have violated its policies against COVID-19 misinformation. For its part, Facebook has removed more than 18 million pieces of content on Facebook and Instagram that violate their COVID-19 and vaccine misinformation policies. At the same time, Republicans have skewered Facebook for over-policing claims about the origin of the virus. The company recently announced it would no longer take down posts claiming COVID-19 was man-made, admitted during speculation the virus may have accidentally leaked from a lab in China. And in the Caribbean, Cuban President Miguel Diaz-Canel responded to President Joe Biden's claim yesterday during a news conference with German Chancellor Angela Merkel that Cuba is a failed state. Biden also called communism a failed system. Cuba is a, uh, unfortunately, a failed state in repressing uh, their citizens. There are a number of things that we would consider doing to help the people of Cuba. But it would require a different circumstance or a guarantee that they would not be taken advantage of by the government. For example, the ability to send remittances to back to Cuba. I would not do that now because the fact is, it's highly likely that the regime would confiscate those remittances or big chunks of it. 
with regard to they need COVID on, the, I mean, excuse me, they have a COVID problem in Cuba. I would be prepared to give significant amounts of vaccine if, in fact, I was assured an international organization would administer those vaccines and do it in a way that average citizens would have access to those vaccines. One of the things that uh, you did not ask, but we're considering is they've cut off access to the Internet. We're considering whether we have the technological ability to reinstate that access. Thousands of Cubans took to the streets across the island nation last weekend to protest chronic shortages of basic goods. Under the Obama administration, Cuba oversaw the reopening of embassies and relaxing of many restrictions long in place since the embargo. But the Trump administration enacted some of the toughest economic measures against Cuba in decades, reinstated travel restrictions and before leaving office named Cuba a state sponsor of terrorism. Diaz-Canel posted on his official Twitter account, if President Joe Biden really had humanitarian concerns for the Cuban people, he would eliminate the 243 measures applied by President Donald Trump, including 50 imposed cruelly during the pandemic. Adding, the U.S. has failed in its attempt to destroy Cuba, although by trying to achieve it, has wasted millions of dollars. Earlier this week, Internet monitor NetBlocks reported social media platforms were being restricted in Cuba, including WhatsApp, Facebook, Instagram, and reportedly some Telegram servers were being disrupted, although the website NetBlocker has come under criticism itself for not revealing the source of its data. In a statement on Thursday, Queen's Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez says she stood in solidarity with people protesting in Cuba and condemned Cuban President Diaz-Canal's actions to clamp down what she called anti-democratic. But AOC also targeted the 65-year U.S. embargo as a travesty. And what's extraordinarily important for us to communicate as well is you is the, is the actions and U.S. contributions to the suffering of Cubans on the island as well. There is no way where it is acceptable for us to use cruelty as a as a point of leverage against everyday people, period, whether it's our border or whether it's the U.S. embargo on, on Cuba, the cruelty is the point. Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, a Florida Democrat who lost her House seat last year, former Representative Debbie McCarcel Powell, slammed Ocasio. No, this is not correct, McCarcel Powell, who served in the House for a single term, wrote in response to the assertion the embargo is worsening the problem in Cuba. Meanwhile, a letter to Biden signed by Representatives Barbara Lee and James McGovern is urging Biden to consider renewed approaches to strengthen diplomatic people-to-people and economic engagement with Cuba. Among their requests, lifting restrictions and caps on family remittances and donations, lifting restrictions on travel to the island nation. In more Caribbean news, Haiti's National Police Director Leon Charles said yesterday the assassination of President Jovenel Moise was planned in the Dominican Republic. He also announced the arrest of three members of the presidential security detail and Moise's bodyguard. He added more than members of Moise's security detail are also being interrogated. Police said they want to find out why the guards didn't appear to have put up resistance to the killers at the president's home on a cul-de-sac. Asian police say at least 26 former Colombian soldiers and two Americans were connected to the killing on July 7th. Colombian President Ivan Duque has been in touch with leaders in Haiti since the arrest. Haitian authorities say a group of businessmen and security specialists with ties to Miami 
were ringleaders in the assassination. And in related news, the Pentagon confirmed that the U.S. military had trained some of the Colombian mercenaries. The military said in a statement, a review of our training database indicates that a small number of Colombian people detained as part of this investigation have participated in past U.S. military education and training programs while serving as active members of the Colombian military forces. The United States has come under criticism over the years for its use of the so-called School of the Assassins and other training facilities throughout Latin America where graduate the graduates were accused of being uh, members of death squads and involved in other human rights violations. And you're listening to the news on WBAI New York. I'm Paul DiRienzo. A group of Westchester County landlords failed to convince the Second Circuit Court that they had a viable challenge against New York Governor Andrew Cuomo's temporary COVID-19 eviction moratorium. Until the end of next month, evictions remain illegal in New York, but the ban in place is a product of laws passed and later extended by the state legislature, not the governor, whose initial stay on evictions expired in August of 2020. The landlords had taken issue with a provision of Cuomo's executive order allowing tenants to pay rent using their security deposits if need be, arguing that even state grants to landlords would be no help to the property owners since they would not replenish security deposits. A separate federal freeze on most evictions is scheduled to expire July 31st. Activist Reverend Frank Morales is with the Lower East Side Eviction Defense Network in conjunction with uh, the group Goals or Good Old Lower East Side and Met Council on Housing and other groups. He says there are financial alternatives to help tenants in arrears, but he adds if evictions happen, community members will respond. The uh, current moratorium on evictions expires on August 31st. That means if you're low or middle income and you're behind your rent, you should immediately apply to the Emergency Rental Assistance Program, or ERAP, for rent relief. We're telling folks the sooner you apply, the better, because it's a first-come, first-served basis. The good news is that state officials say they've allocated close to $3 billion, $2.7 billion, for the program, the ERAP program statewide. Um, again, which which folks can uh, locate if they search uh, ERAP, uh, Emergency Rental Assistance Program, assistance uh, program, they can uh, they can they mm. get the application and apply. Um, Two point seven billion's been a- been uh, allocated for it, um, and but uh, and the program was was available for application uh, this past June first, and we're six weeks um, into the application. Some 175,000 people statewide have applied, and as we speak at this moment, not a dollar has been allocated. Uh, no, no tenant and/or landlord um, has been, uh, you know, has, has accessed any of these funds. Um, both landlords and tenants have to cooperatively, um, you know, fill out aspects of the, of the application. So, you know, the bad news is that the money's not flowing. The money's there, and we encourage people to apply for this rent relief. They'll cover up to 12 months of rental arrears and utility arrears that folks have. In New York City, we're looking at some 50,000 people who are uh, in this uh, predicament as a consequence of the pandemic and loss of income. Upwards of 175,000 people statewide have applied, but uh, at this point, the state uh, agency can only you know, reply 
that they have uh, glitches, uh, computer uh, glitches. Uh, folks are complaining about their inability to access the application and the downloads that are uh, necessary, and uh, not to mention uh, folks who don't have uh, Internet capability. It's a chaotic situation. What's the best case scenario? What's the best thing that could happen here? Well, the best case scenario would be for an outright cancellation of debt. In other words, cancel the rents, um, which uh, is, has happened in California. Um, and then it's up to, uh, you know, state officials along with the banks and, and, uh, and the well-heeled, uh, you know, politicians that, uh, to, to, to solve the, the, the question, you know, to, to reimburse the owners and so forth. But cancel the debts immediately. Take the heat off of the uh, tenants. Um, so that they're not uh, threatened and, and uh, worry about you know, losing their, their homes. That would be the best-case scenario. Um, short of that would be for an effective um, you know, uh, facilitation of this, this ERAP program so that tenants and landlords can, uh, can, can access these funds that are apparently are there um, and, alle and alleviate the debt that way. That's a, it's a chaotic process. Um, you know, uh, rent-stabilized tenants, you know, landlords are interested in getting rid of those tenants. So there's talk about the landlords not accepting the payments. Although here in New York State, we're told that they have to accept those rental payments, uh, you know, those, those, those uh, funds. What do you think about uh, Eric Adams? What do you think his reaction well, is going to be if it comes to this? He said well, he wants I to think, rely um, on law and order. We're hoping. Yeah, yeah, sure. No, in fact, we're we're drafting now um, an appeal to the NYPD um, to to uh, refuse to participate in these evictions. Um, essentially, you know, when an eviction takes place, um, there's a, you know, when you get right down and the rubber hits the road, it's a marshal's couple of guys and uh, and a handful of cops. And uh, if the NYPD refuses to carry out these evictions. Um, which is an appeal that we're looking to have, uh, you know, various organizations come together and, and bring to the NYPD. We're, we're in the process of, of uh, bringing that up to, to the various groups that we're working with. Um, then, uh, you know, hopefully that, that can uh, forestall these evictions as well. We've got to attack this thing from a number of angles. But I don't have uh, great confidence in, uh, you know, in, in this particular mayoral uh, possible, uh, you know, choice. Is it going to be but, like um, the squatters, like the squatter battles in Tompkins Square Park area in the 1980s? Are people going to... Uh... Well, listen, um, I don't see any other way uh, at this point. If uh, the funds are not forthcoming, whether through an outright cancellation of, of rents, which is really our main demand, um, and or the facilitation of these funds through the uh, ERAP program in a timely manner, that uh, we're going to be looking at the... You know, the, these mass evictions, uh, or as uh, one of the newspapers referred to it, a tsunami of evictions, um, we're just not going to stand for that. That's, uh, that's just something that, uh, you know, neighbors coming together, we can, we, can, we can organize the power on the streets and we can block that. Throughout the city, if you, if you have questions, we're certainly willing to uh, assist you and steer you, you know, to local organizations that can help you. Um, that's the L LES Defense Network, uh, one, one long word, LES Defense Network at gmail.com or by phone 646-820-0343. So that's 646-820-0343. 
Frank Morales is with the Lower East Side Eviction Defense Network. And in more local news, the city's jail officers union sued the Department of Correction this week, alleging that officers are being forced to work in unsafe and unhealthy working conditions, including 20 plus hour shifts and failing to provide adequate protective gear at the height of the COVID-19 pandemic. The suit comes as the department faces considerable scrutiny over inmate deaths, mistaken releases and rising assaults on officers. And as the department's new commissioner releases the plan to address longstanding issues, the city is currently investigating an incident where an inmate, Robert Jackson, 42, was found dead in his cell on June 30th after a guard left his post due to exhaustion. Last week, after the correction union snubbed the parade honoring essential workers, the department's own commissioner, Vincent Schiraldi, lambasted employees who repeatedly call in sick, forcing others to work double and triple shifts, saying that those out sick should be ashamed of themselves. And Mayor de Blasio suggested yesterday that politics is motivating Times Square business leaders who have raised alarm about gun violence in the wake of the Midtown tourist hotspot seeing his third shooting in as many months. Speaking during his daily briefing from City Hall, de Blasio said the NYPD is already beefing up patrols in the area and that those reinforcements need to be respected by the Times Square business community because he says it's going to work. This to me is the point. We have been constantly engaging business improvement districts, Times Square and many others, uh, making adjustments where people raise concerns, we take them really seriously. That's why we'd like to see a little consistency. If we're working with people constantly and trying to address issues together, it's good for everyone to recognize that. Uh, Times Square, we've put a huge number of officers there. Everyone sees it. And we'll keep them there as long as we need. And we will address the issues. Uh, and again, I have a lot of faith in the ability of NYPD to do that. And when the NYPD says we're making a surge of officers to address a problem, I think that should be respected because it's going to work. Tom Harris is president of the Times Square Alliance. He said on Wednesday, the de Blasio administration needs to stop making excuses and develop effective strategies and take immediate action. He spoke after four shots rang out in the crossroads of the world, part of an apparent road rage dispute. And finally, as violent crime flares in New York City, Mayor Bill de Blasio and former Mayor Rudy Giuliani clashed over hiring more police officers to fight the surge in crime. Giuliani said, see, the mayor has several problems. He's lazy and he's stupid. De Blasio responded, are you familiar with the phrase liar, liar? Are you familiar with the phrase liar, liar, pants on fire? That's a classic I'd like to raise right now. This guy just lies for a living, Andrew. He obviously had his law license suspended. Uh, he is a known liar. He's lying again. It's really sad. Uh, I have a lot of respect for the office of mayor of New York City, and, and Rudy is just not worthy of the title anymore. And that's Mayor de Blasio. The mayor shifted $1 billion out of the police budget a year ago, but this year he put $200 million back in. As for federal stimulus money going to hire more officers, the mayor has used it for other community-based programs to fight crime, not for more manpower. And that's some of the news for Friday, July 16th, 2021. The news is produced with Linda Perry, our engineer is Reggie Johnson. From New York City, I'm Paul DiRienzo. Thanks for listening.